We're going to jump into Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. So go ahead and flip with me there. We are, uh, we are in this very, very uh, uh, beautiful story about the life of a man named Joseph. Can everybody say Joseph? Joseph. Let me give you a quick little, uh, a very fast recap of what's taken place so far in this section of the book of Genesis so that as we begin to read in chapter 42, you're completely caught up in terms of what's happening in this story. It's a very, very powerful story here in the book of Genesis. And uh, as, pre- as we prepare to go into uh, chapter 42, um, we-, we have to kind of back up and see what's been taking place so far. So, uh, so far, as we uh, study the life of Joseph, there's actually quite a lot written about, the, uh, about this character named Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. A lot more than we have written about uh, figures like Isaac. Uh, he's a significant, he's referenced so many times throughout the Bible, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and yet we have the majority of the, the uh, end of Genesis devoted to the story of Joseph. And I, I want to say that uh, a significant reason why we have so much information about the life of Joseph is because Joseph went through a lot of ups and downs. Raise your hand if in your own life you've experienced ups and downs. Ups and downs. So Joseph is, uh, is, is no exception to that. He's experienced many ups and downs. Um, his story is very dynamic in the sense that things didn't always go well for him in his life. Sometimes we think that uh, blessedness or having God's favor on us means nothing bad ever happens to us. But if we really study the way that God operates, we realize that sometimes it's through our trials and through our challenges and through our difficulties, through the rock bottom moments, through the moments that look hopeless where we actually discover all that God is. In fact, if you never experienced hardship ever in your life, then you probably have never really experienced God's grace. If if you've never gotten to the point where uh, you were ready to give up, then you may not have experienced God's full redemption. So going through trials, going through difficulties, going through valleys, going through hardships is actually a sign that God loves you. Some of you are like, man, that don't make no sense. You know, for me, I'd rather have signs of having whatever I want whenever I want it, never experiencing hard things, uh, life being smooth, and things working out for me and always uh, working for my good. But that's not how we grow. That's not how we learn, which is one of the reasons why I love the story of Joseph. So the story of Joseph, I'm not going to spend too much time on the first part of it, but essentially uh, he was born. He had uh, 11 brothers, and out of all 12 of these brothers to their father, whose name was Jacob, Joseph was considered his father's favorite and he knew that and he wanted everybody to know that um, and that got him into quite a bit of trouble uh, he, he was a bit of a show-off and uh, and he liked to brag about how special he was in his father's eyes and uh, that did not make his 11 other brothers like him very much so lesson number one in the life of Joseph Let other people sing your praises for you. 
Uh, you will uh, win the favor of others if you don't go around tooting your own horn and patting yourself on the back and talking about all the things that you've done or all the things that you are. Let somebody else talk about those things. Amen? So Joseph's first mistake, I would say, is uh, yes, he was special, and it's okay to be special, uh, but he should have kept that in his heart, in my mind. Okay? But he, he received some dreams that were special, and again, maybe that, that was God's way of encouraging him and letting him know that he's got a future ahead of him, that he's going to be something, he's going to be someone, and that's okay to have that kind of confidence. Uh, I think the, the issue was uh, he, he kind of shared that at the expense of the rest of his brothers, and so they were jealous, and they came up with a plan. And their plan was, the first plan was, let's kill him. Then finally, after a, a little bit of uh, consultation within their brothers, they said, you know what? Nah, we don't have to kill our brother. What we can do is we can pretend that he died. Um, so why don't, we, uh, why don't we sell him to slave traders? At least we'll get some money for him. And then we'll take his clothes, we'll put some animal's blood on it, we'll bring it back to our father, who was getting a little bit old anyway, a little bit old and not as aware, and we'll tell our father that he was killed by a wild animal. And then all of our problems will be solved. We'll have a little bit more money in our pocket, we won't have the problem of our arrogant brother around us anymore, and, um, and then we'll, we'll make sure that we tell our father a lie about what happened to our brother. So they went through with this plan. They sold him into slavery. He was taken away, ultimately lands in a faraway land, Egypt specifically. And, and that's the beginning part of the story of Joseph. So, uh, so as we could see, Joseph's life up until the point of being sold into slavery was one of of, uh, of, of luxury. It was one where he was favored. It was one where he was considered to be his father's favorite. And so he had these highs. And then he was sold into slavery. So then he had these lows. And then, and then he gets to Egypt. And, and when he gets there to Egypt, immediately he uh, comes into the house of uh, a man named Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, Potiphar recognizes that this is a bright, brilliant, handsome, effective young man. I'm going to put him to work. And so he starts to uh, take care of some of the affairs of Potiphar to the point where all of a sudden now he's elevated into a high position. And he's very respected. So he had highs and then he had lows. And then now here he is experiencing success in the land of Egypt. And then right as he's having all this success... Potiphar's wife sees him and, and, uh, and she's seduced by him and she thinks he's attractive and she goes to him and, uh, and essentially because he was a man of God, a man of faith, a man of integrity, a man of character, he told her, no, 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 that, that, you belong to somebody else. And because she felt the shame of his rejection, she went and told another lie to her husband, that he's the one who tried to make an advance at her. And it was at that point that he was then thrown into prison in Egypt. So again, highs, lows, highs, lows. And there he was for some time stuck in a prison cell for many, many years. 
And while he's there in prison, all of a sudden, uh, there, there come these uh, situations where he's there with, uh, with the uh, cupbearer of the king. He's there with uh, uh, the, a baker, and he begins to, uh, people are having troubling dreams, and he begins to interpret their dreams and tell them what their dreams mean. And, and that gift that he had all of a sudden won him an audience with somebody who was the highest of all command in Egypt who was called the Pharaoh. So then ultimately, as we lead up to the chapters, right before we get into chapter 42, Pharaoh has a dream. And some of you might remember this dream. He has this dream of, uh, of these, uh, these cows, right? And, and the first part of the dream was that there were, there were seven fat cows, which represent a, and he, he interprets it later for him, the only thing that the Pharaoh could see was the, these animals, and he didn't know what they meant. And, and when he, he told this dream to Joseph, and Joseph listened, and he said the, the seven Fat cows represent seven years of prosperity. And then they were eaten by seven skinny cows. He says the seven skinny cows represent a season of famine. And so there's going to be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. So Pharaoh says, oh my God, this guy is full of wisdom. He, he speaks with God and God speaks to him. There is something special about him. And so after many years of being in prison, so highs and lows and highs and lows and highs, all of a sudden now, again, he is released from prison and elevated to a position where the only person more powerful than Joseph in all of Egypt was the Pharaoh. And so he experienced all of these things in his life. Which is why I I personally love this story because it reminds us that as we think about God's work and movement in our life, it's not all going to be smooth. It's not all going to be fun and games. It's not all going to be blessing and favor and prosperity. There's going to be moments in our lives where we experience difficulty, and it doesn't mean that God has forgotten about us. In fact, one of the things that Joseph would consistently say in these moments where he was going through these challenges, where he was abandoned by his family, sold into slavery, where he was uh, sold to be killed, where he was given away, where he was sent to prison, and where he was locked in prison over and over again as he recognized that God never left his side. God never left his side. And he knew that. And so he, he kept trusting in God. No matter where he was, no matter what he went through, he trusted in God. Some of us, I think we struggle with this, uh, this ability to trust in God because uh, oftentimes God does things that don't make sense to us. Really hard to make sense of the things that happen sometimes in life. And, and we think that in order for us to be faithful followers of Christ, in order for us to consistently trust God, that we have to somehow either make sense of things or have somebody make sense of them for us in order for us to stay faithful. What I loved about Joseph's story is that even when things didn't make sense, he trusted God anyway. He trusted God anyway. He wasn't one of those 
kind of Christians that was always just waiting for the next calamity to happen. You would think that he had every reason to be given all the hardship that he experienced. Oh, not that, not that again. Oh, man, why me? Can I catch a break? God, why don't you mess with somebody else for, for a change and let me be? Right? It's so easy for us to develop a mindset and a mentality that we're being picked on. But let me encourage you with something tonight. God doesn't pick on you. God doesn't pick on you. In fact, there may be an opportunity in the situation that you're experiencing right now to meet God and to develop a kind of faith that you'll be able to say, Lord, even when I can't see how you're going to work this situation out, I'm choosing to believe that you're with me and that you're going to work it all out. The next person might ask, okay, but when? And God's timing is different than our timing. God's ways are different than our ways. So part of this, this invitation to growing in spiritual maturity is to realize, Lord, whatever time frame I have in mind, for whatever it is that I'm hoping that you will do, I surrender that to you. Lord, whatever plan and protocol that I have in mind as to how I want you to work things out in my life over the next year, five years, ten years, I hand that over to you. Father, the control of the outcome, I'm giving that over to you. See, God doesn't ask us to be in charge of whatever outcomes might be faced. He, just in, he gives us a, 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 a commandment to be faithful in whatever situation we're facing right now. And, and what situation you're facing is different than the situation that she's facing or he's facing. That every single one of us has a different life, but we are serving the same God. Too often we start to get into the, you know, we start to get into the comparison game. Or we start to, or some of us were raised to immediately resort to guilt and shame. Oh man, the reason why my life is so messed up is, is because I'm, I'm not lovable. The reason why my life is so messed up is because all the mistakes that I made 20 years ago. The reason why my life is so messed up is because I'm not deserving of anything. Oh, man, we start to go down, and next thing you know, it's just a spiral, right? It's like a toilet bowl. Just going down, 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 down. No, no, no. When we have invited the living Christ to be at the center of our lives, at that point, you have broken up. Talk about Valentine's Day. At that point, you have broken up with the downward spiral. Amen? Right, if you spent more than uh, 30 seconds around Miss Carla, and if you ever asked her how she's doing, I don't know if you have before or not. Hey, Miss Carla, how you doing? Watch, we're going to try it out right now. Hey, Miss Carla, how you doing? She's blessed and highly favored. I can't think of a time, and I've known Miss Carla my whole life, just about, if not my whole life. Nine years old, there we go. I can't think of a time where I've asked her how you're doing when I don't hear, blessed and highly favored. 
Does that mean that every time I've seen her, she's had the best day of her life? Does that mean that every time I see her, she hasn't gone through some stuff? No, she's been through some stuff, but guess what? She knows deep down in her heart, no matter what she's going through, she is. That's what Joseph knew. Hey, Joseph, man, you're in prison. I'm blessed and highly favored. Hey, Joseph, man, you just got sold by your brothers into slavery, and they're lying to your dad saying that you're dead. I'm blessed and highly favored. Joseph, you just got ratted out by a woman who was trying to make an advance at you, and you did the right thing, and all of a sudden you ended up in jail. Guess what you are? Blessed and highly favored. I love the story of Joseph. So, in, verse, in chapter 41, we find out that all, he had come all the way up, and now he was in charge of Egypt. Oh, is that awesome or what? He was in charge of Egypt. Okay? So, just as he said, and just as uh, the Lord had given him a vision through the dream that he interpreted, everything had taken place. There was a season of seven years of prosperity in Egypt, in the land. And the surrounding countries. And then immediately following those seven years, there was a season of famine. Famine in the land. And that leads us to chapter 42. So let's go ahead and read that together. I want to make sure the, uh, the kids ministry and the, the youth ministry folks aren't mad at me. What time should, should I wrap us up? All right, 8.15 it is. Chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned, who's Jacob? Joseph's father, that's right, absolutely. Anybody know who uh, Jacob's father was? Anybody know who Isaac's father was? Anybody know who Abraham's father was? Terah, from Ur of the Chaldees, right? Anybody know who Terah is? No, I'm just kidding. All right. So Jacob, Joseph's father, an old man by this time, learned that there was grain in Egypt, and he said to his sons, hey, why do you just keep looking at each other? I thought that was funny. <laughs> why are you guys just looking at each other? <laughs> I'm like, man, Jacob must have been from, from Carson, man. <laughs> what are you fools doing? You're going to make food by looking at each other? <laughs> well, I'm hungry, man. Go give me some food. <laughs> Why are you just looking at each other? <laughs> That's one of the funniest verses, I think, in the Bible. <laughs> Verse 2, he continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph 
was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? You wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that happened to them. 
They said, the man who was lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as if we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Watch this, verse 33. Jacob is a crack up. (laughs) Then the man who was lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take Food for your starving households and go, but bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you could trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Later on in the story, he ends up telling them, man, why'd you have to tell him everything about our family? Why'd you have to tell him how many brothers you had and you guys all came from the same father? He said, too much information. (laughs) So we have this story, the story in chapter uh, 42 of Jacob realizing that there's a famine in the land. Something needs to be done. And so he sends them to go. And as they go, we find this, this very special moment. It's beautiful literature here telling us the story of Joseph where Joseph realizes that these are his brothers after he hadn't seen them for years. He knows it's them, but they don't know that it's him. I love this story because... Uh, it is a really great reminder to us, I believe, in, in the ways in which God has the ability to change our hearts to reflect his character, especially in situations that might bring out the worst in us. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, some of us, when somebody says uh, uh, something uh, against us or about us, they... Uh, Call us a name. Uh, You hear somebody's kind of talking behind your back. You hear that somebody said something about you or your family or whatever it may be. Our human nature automatically, a number of things come to our mind whenever we find that out. First thing we want to do is, you know, maybe we want to get in a fight. I heard you were saying something about me. Second thing we might want to do is say, you know what? I never liked them anyway. I'm just going to avoid them, stay away from them. I don't need that negativity in my life. Right? We may start throwing curses at them. Hope they get sick. Hope they drive into a sinkhole. Start wishing all kinds of evil on them, right? Our human nature easily, as soon as we begin to feel that, 
that somebody's done something to us, then it's really easy for us. There's this, this thing in us. We, 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 you, if you're not sure exactly what I mean, because you're, you're too holy and spiritual and you've never had somebody hold a grudge against you or you against somebody else, then I encourage you to go. Uh, you, you can actually observe this like in real time right now by walking over to Building 2, which is our children's ministry, and, and take a look at the nursery. Because when one of the kids who's like a half inch taller than the other one and knows how to walk a little bit better, when the other one takes away one of their toys, then the bigger one walks over there, pulls the toy away, and then hits him in the head with it. And, and you see that there's this natural tendency that we have to get retribution, to get revenge, to get even. Because we say, oh, things need to be fair. Does that person know who they're messing with? Do they know who they're talking about? They should have kept their mouth shut. They ne- we, we get all these different things that, that come up in us where all of a sudden now somebody does something to us and we're not only ready to get even with them, but we want to see something worse happen to them. Get worked up. Man, I, I'm, I'm sharing this from experience, not just from like, you know, scientific observation. And so when we think about all these natural tendencies that we may have, and we think of all that Joseph went through, all that he went through, all the years of his life where he could have spent in his father's household as the favorite son, right? He, he, all, you could have think of the life he could have had in Canaan if he was never sold into slavery, if he all of a sudden came and inherited all of his father's properties and now he was running the family business and he had all the cattle that he ever wanted and, and, and he was having a successful and thriving life there and he could have had this wonderful life but all of that was taken away from him in a, a flash, in an instant because his brothers were jealous and sold him into slavery. Man, if, if he didn't have God at the center of his life and in his heart, then it could have been so easy for him every day for that anger and that bitterness and that resentment to grow bigger and stronger every single day. If I ever see those guys again, oh my goodness, they don't know what's coming for them. I'm going to get them back for what they did, right? They thought I forgot about it. I didn't forget. I'm going to come back. Not only am I going to take back what they took away from me, but I'm going to take even more. That's what they deserve for selling me into slavery and taking me away from my father's home. Right? So it could have been so easy for him to allow that, that bitterness to take root in his life to all of a sudden develop a me against the world kind of mindset that just slowly but surely corrupts and corrodes our heart to the point where no, we can no longer hear the Holy Spirit in our life. We could no longer feel the goodness of God. We no longer are driven by God's hope and truth and love and peace, but we're driven by our own hatred. We're driven by our own frustration. We're driven by our own anger. We're driven by our own sense of, of what's, what's fair and what's just and, and, and all these different things that if we allow that to take root in us, then we are going to miss what God might have for our lives. I mean, he had a list. He could have had a list. If I were in Joseph's shoes, I probably would have had a list. All ten of my brothers, not Benjamin. He was my little brother. He was the homie. But all ten of the other fools on my list 
the slave traders that picked me up on my list. Potiphar's wife on my list. Potiphar for not believing me on my list. Right? I mean, the list is long. But guess what? As we read the story of Joseph and you see how God continually is present, how he continues to trust God, to know that his God was with him, to know that his God hasn't left him, to know deep down in his heart that everything that's happened to him has happened for a reason, even if he didn't know what that reason was. He was convinced of the fact that all the ups and downs were part of God's story in Joseph's life. That's mature faith, church. Immature faith is we we love and worship God when things are going great. We, We doubt that God exists when things go south. That's immature faith. Immature faith is conditional. It depends on how things are going in my life in that particular moment. And the minute things all of a sudden start to fall apart, we begin to fall apart with them. And our foundation of faith is torn to shreds the moment one thing happens that we're disappointed in. Oh man, I wish that our faith was a little bit more like Joseph's. Oh man, whether I'm at a mountaintop or a valley point, God is with me and he's good. Whether I'm experiencing favor and blessing or whether things are being taken away from me and I'm left for dead. God is good and he's with me. Right? That's the mindset we got to develop. Whether I'm in Canaan or whether I'm in Egypt, God is with me and he's good. Whether I'm at the bottom of a pit or whether I'm sitting on a throne, God is with me and he's good. Whether I got nothing or whether I'm in charge of everything, God is with me and he is good. Whether my family's with me or whether my family's against me, God is with me and he is good. That's the story of Joseph. Man, this is encouraging for us. Right? He never cursed God. He does, no offense to Job. I love Job. He's a great, that's a great story in the Bible. And I thank the Lord I haven't gone through a, a, a hundredth of what Job experienced. But there were some moments there in Job where he was a little, you know, but God, why? Why this? Why that? Joseph is just taking it on the chin. One punch after the next. And he keeps getting back up. Right? I heard somebody say recently, it doesn't matter how fast you go. What matters is how fast you get back up. Joseph kept getting up. He was resilient. He's tough. Where does that come from? Faith. Faith in who? Faith in God. That he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Amen? So here this this chapter. I'm not going to get too far ahead because I know we've got to continue working our way through chapters 43, 44. But here in chapter 42 is this moment where Joseph, for the first time in many years, encounters his brothers. And although he, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a, uh, I will say it's a, bit, it's a bit of a dramatic exchange between the forgotten brother and, and, his, and, and the other ten. 
And, uh, you know, he comes and, and they come to get grain and they bring their silver and then they buy all this grain. They're going to take it back home to feed the family. And halfway uh, home, they, they reach into one of the sacks to, to feed the donkeys and they realize that the coins, the silver that they brought to pay for the grain was actually still with them. And they thought to themselves, oh, what an idiot. Somebody stole the grain without paying. We're never going to be able to go back to that business again. Because if we show our face there again, they're going to say, those are the guys who ripped us off. They took all that grain and they didn't even pay us for it. So now they're upset. Why did Joseph do it? To make them have to come back. Right? Um, it says there that when he recognized them, they didn't recognize him. There's a quick little line in there that said, Joseph turned away and he wept. Why did he weep? Why did he weep? Was he weeping because he was lamenting all of the hardship that he went through in his life? Was it, was it tears of sorrow and sadness connected to his own predicament and lot and misfortune? Was it tears of feeling sorry for himself? I think, I think there were tears of joy. I don't think uh, Joseph had ever imagined seeing his family again. You ever seen somebody you love who you haven't seen for a really long time? Nowadays, it's a little harder because we got FaceTime, right? It kind of ruins it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> remember back in the day when, uh, when you would take somebody to the airport and you could, you, you, uh, you didn't have, there was no such thing as TSA, and you would walk all the way up to the gate before they would, I remember taking my dad when he'd get ready to go fly somewhere to go speak at another church or at a big event or something. And we'd go all, we'd get out, we'd park on the, I think my mom would just park the minivan right straight there on LAX, right, right on the curb. Right now where if you park there, they're going to send uh, the National Guard on you. Right? <laughs> they're going to come and tow your truck in like five seconds. Excuse me, you can't park here. You come back, car's gone. Back in the day, you just park the car right there, get out. We all walk into the airport together, all the way to the gate. Bye, Dad. See the plane take off, then we leave. There was something. And then we would do the same thing when he'd come back. We'd go all the way to the gate. He'd come off the plane. You'd see him walk through that little, you know, weird-looking slinky thing that connects the terminal to the airplane. And then he would get there. Hey, Dad. And we would run up. We'd give him a big hug. And one of the things that he'd always do, remember, Josh, wherever it is that he'd go, it doesn't matter where he went, he'd always come back and he'd have something for each of us. It wasn't always like expensive or big. It was like a pencil, you know, from Washington, D.C. Or, uh, you know, whatever, a little keychain or something. But it was always, Dad, what you got? And then he did the same thing to us. And we do this to our kids a lot now, even in this next generation, when we bring them back something and we surprise them with it, we say, all right, close your eyes, put your hands out. So they got to go like that, put their hand out. And then we put it in their hand, and then they get to open it and see what it is. We learned that because that's what we used to do all the time. But it was like, you know, he's gone for two days, gone for three days, and we see him, and it's like, Dad, good to see you, right? Here Joseph hadn't seen his family for years upon years upon years, and all of a sudden now, in a time when they didn't have FaceTime. Can you believe it? They didn't have smartphones in the Bible, believe it or not. No text messages, no emails. 
Joseph sees his family again. And it reminds us here, even in chapter 42, that doesn't get fully into the story, but sets it up in, in some way, that instead of having a heart of bitterness and anger, animosity, hatred against his brothers, the Lord had kept his heart soft and began to pave a way for an opportunity for God's love to be shown in a very beautiful story. Amen? All right, we're going to pray and dismiss. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for this beautiful story in the life of Joseph. We can learn so many lessons from studying his character, his faith, his resilience in the face of adversity. Teach us, Lord, to be those who persevere through hardship, who hang on to our faith in the middle of the storm, who continue to believe that you are with us and that you are good, no matter where we are, no matter what we go through. And Lord, we thank you for the lessons here that instead of uh, keeping a list of all those who've wronged us and looking for opportunities to set things straight, instead, Lord, keep our hearts soft before you. We know that it's easier said than done, but we believe that with your help, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can do that too. Uh, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, for this opportunity to gather and study your word. Make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, 815. Boom. <laughs> God bless you. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>